Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. You guys have all these fancy introductions I get. So. I actually uh, put in the bulletin this past week, like, how things change. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, so that the, the new people can kind of see, well, okay, we're going to switch from Christ is risen back to uh, glory to Jesus Christ, or... You know, it's funny, I, uh, well, this is uh, Father John. Father Michael. Father Michael here, Catholic stuff you should know, good to be with you. It's great to be with uh, you after kind of a rather uh, heated uh, <laughs> last recording. It's very chill, we're in the afternoon, you're having a nice... Uh, relaxing time together, but I can usually tell within about the first 12 seconds what the tenor of the podcast, which is usually <laughs> somewhere around Goebbels' emotional state, uh, <laughs> by his response yes. to you that quickly. So, Oh, when you're uh, listening from Rome? When I'm listening from Rome, yeah. <laughs> nice. So, But uh, you guys have, definitely have better introductions than uh, Father Mike and I, who's... I never know what he's going to do. He's, yeah. he's a, I've, I've deemed him a social anarchist. I don't know if that's like okay. the right, you know? Because he's not awkward. It's just, he's no. just... It's just anarchy. It's just but he, a, I think he know. does it on purpose. He he yeah. doesn't like the consistent openings. He no, doesn't no. like consistent anything. No, nothing. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so these are the the deep struggles uh, of the inner life of the podcast. So it was one of the uh, one of the recordings uh, Rap and I did together that he was just like he explained how he's a rebel against everything companions. So oh, yeah. like when I joined the companions so late in the process, it was kind of like well. You know, this is how you dress. This is what you drink, and he's just like he's like, nope, I I, I am against all those things. Like, yeah. I will never buy Birkenstocks. I'm gonna wear you know camouflage flip flops. I will tequila. never drink bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> tequila or beer. We had that day. Yeah. Well, the problem is there's this great. I think I've talked about this before, but there's this great restaurant in Boulder called the Sink. Have you ever been there? And the wall. I think it's, it's a very yeah. kind of iconic, uh, bizarre Boulder restaurant. But the okay. walls are all. Um, all kind of decorated in this very bizarre kind of art. But there's this one painting that I really like on the wall, and it's got all these frat boys lined up. Okay. And it says, Fraternity Breeds Uniformity. And they're making fun of the whole... Uh, no, wait, does it say uniformity or diversity? I forget. They're making fun of the fact that like everybody thinks they're so different, but oh, actually when you put people together, they all just become the same thing. Right. And unfortunately, the companions... Fraternity is not above that, <laughs> though it's unspoken. It's not like right, you have to drink right. Maker's Mark bourbon and you have to wear Birkenstocks. But yeah, Mike has that sixth sense for anything <laughs> consistent, and then he sets to work dynamiting it and uh, blowing it up. So yeah. yeah, I miss that guy. I miss him. Uh, being back here is obviously great. It's great to be with you. But Mike, you'll be home in a few weeks, and he'll be blowing up our yeah. our uh, patterns of life here. So right as as is good. Yeah, it was great living with him last summer. Um, he was the the third companion that was supposed to be living with us will go unnamed. Yeah, <laughs> that would never come over and pray a whole hour with us, maybe twice the whole time. Um, but it was uh, it was great having that their prayer with him in the morning because that's how he was. Like every night, like I won't I won't say on live what it was, but he would just break every rule <laughs> that like he possibly could. And so I wanted to kind of like be like him in a bit. So I I mean I don't smoke, but like I would I would go buy just little mini cigars. Like right, they would take right. about the same amount of time and smoke them with them and things like that. And it was the it was uh, a trip. the the key to understand the hermeneutical key to understanding Mike Rap is his his old dog Cornbread. Okay. Have you ever heard me I've heard give the my stories, theories? Yeah. That, like, I, I do think people become like their dogs, or their dogs become like them. I was with Father Sam Moorhead. He has a cat named Cuthbert, and then I was watching them, and I was like, oh yeah, this is like very they're in sync now. Right. There's something going on here. Kind of quasi biological, but if you meet Cornbread, Felicity Cornbread, Father Mike's old dog, that you just it all makes sense. That's okay. like half corgi, half Sheltie. So, um, and then like, will 
run away as soon as you come near them okay. and take off. And the next thing you know, kind of come back and just tuck in <laughs> and just cuddle you up right when you're all sad and alone and then take off again for a couple nice. more. And that's, that's cornbread. But the funny thing is I was saying to these guys is, um, you know, you never really know somebody until you travel together. Yeah. And then living abroad together, you really get to know yeah. each other. And, uh, we were in Oxford together, um, a couple of weeks ago before I came back. And, uh, I, Mike and I were laughing about, um, Usterman because we just looked at him and we're like, Daniel, father, Daniel Usterman, 27 year old companion. Um, we're just like, you're of the Pokemon generation. What do you know about Pokemon? And he went on this because we we're like, I don't even know what that is. Right? Like, I don't even think I could name two Pokemon, let alone I, I don't think I could define it. Jigglypuff, that was the name of our lacrosse goalie. That was his nickname. <laughs> um, Steve Zaccone. Jigglypuff, other than that. And he went on this like two hour th- explanation. It was amazing. Into the world of Pokemon. And this is like, I think, the younger generation, but it was just like, yeah. these things only come out, you know, after a certain number of ales. Uh, right when you're traveling together, so yeah, it's you know, funny. It's funny, but that is Goble. Goble uses all of these illusions, like '90s references, and I I don't get half of them. But like as I follow Facebook, many of the listeners do. Oh yeah, but but he made some Pokemon reference, and like it was tying it into some theological concept, like he does so well. But supposedly he got like the order wrong or got the names wrong. Somebody was all over. Facebook just raged yeah, on him. Yeah, I don't think I've even told him that yet. But it was like Charizard turns into this or whatever, and he just had the order wrong. And I was like. Like, do people understand the theological concept, or are they just yeah. raging on the fact that he got the order wrong? No, it's, he's the a change po- in the Pokemon. Pokemon heretic. You've uh, spoken against. Yeah, he exactly. Be, yeah, he needs to be banished from the Pokemon world. Censured. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, yeah, that was in a pub called the Mitre, actually, in Oxford. If anybody is going to Oxford, I hate to put more emails on our friend Tim Danaher, who's soon to get ordained. Um, but we have um, Father Austin Lickey, my friend. I'm doing. He does this thing with his fingers when he. When he uh, preaches, so I'm kind of doing the finger, the Austin finger thing. But we, I think we tried most of the pubs in Oxford in our five days there, and so nice. we have a number of recommendations. So, if any, that might be worth. Well, that's not really Catholic stuff, but kind of is. And um, so, anyways, we can highly recommend that. But if I can tell one funny story from Oxford with with him, I know we got to get going here. Do it. Um, we're totally romanized so like living in italy you just oh. become italian yeah. like you just you pick up all the crazy hat patterns of uh, behavior that uh, that you uh, never realize that you're doing and we're austin and i are in uh, oxford and we're standing there waiting for the bus and we're talking about whatever into something or other and without even realizing we see the bus come and we just charge towards the bus oh. and uh did i tell the story already no. oh yeah we just like charge because in rome like you don't know if you're getting on that bus or not. Like, and it, you better be the first to the door, and then you're just going to cram your body into this thing. <laughs> and uh, so we charge towards the door, and we look to our left, and there, we cut off this woman with her stroller and her child like trying to get on, and the look on her face <laughs> literally like pierced into our souls. And then we look back, and there's like 25 people who had lined up oh. to get on the bus. And we were and like, so, yeah, I'm, he's dressed in his Dominican thing. I'm in my clerics. And they're looking at us like, you've got to be kidding me. And the woman passes us with her stroll, and she goes, in England, we mind our cues. And we're like, oh, wow. So we have uh, thoroughly become, we realized how, how ridiculous that uh, And she probably thought it was just an ugly American. Like, yeah, exactly. That's how Americans exactly. act, not no, like it's an Italian like, thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got back to DIA at Denver Airport, and uh, all these nice Everybody was just kind of like, oh, well, we can't get on there. And I was like, oh, we can get at least 150 more people on that train back to Germany. So it's funny. It's funny. It's maddening. I love Rome. 
but it's also it's good to be home. So. Yeah, I can imagine. It's like being stuck on a stranded island for three years with a crazy woman. You know, okay. you're like you're crazy and you're lazy, <laughs> and I hate you. <laughs> And then you leave, and you're like, oh, you're actually beautiful, and I miss you. Uh, That's kind of my relationship with Rome right now. The nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I went back there just for a couple days for that F&E trip, and it was... I just walked around for one evening, and it all came back to me. Like, I've never spent an extended period of time yeah. there, but I've been there so many times. It's been nice. Yeah. yeah. There's something beautiful, but something eternal about it. That's what I call it, the eternal yeah. city, of course. Well, we're coming up on a big... Uh, I, John Leindecker was giving me the business last night about how... We Eastern Byzantine guys are going to give you, we're going to give you the liturgy back. And I was like, well, in some ways that's true. We get a dose of kind of like, what are we supposed to be doing here? And you guys are, I know this isn't the topic, but I was just curious kind of uh, when this comes out, we'll be in the period between the Ascension and Pentecost. What are the particular things you guys are doing in the Byzantine church in preparation for? Between that time? Mm -hmm. Um, It is is very much a time of waiting um, for Pentecost. This is one of those liturgical seasons and even, you know, times in the history of salvation that I've always wondered why there was even a period. Like, why didn't the Pentecost happen the moment that Christ ascended? Um, you know, there, there's something about the number 50, of course, mm-hmm. that has to do with, um, you know, uh, tying in everything for the descent of the Holy Spirit to come at, at, at the Feast of Pentecost. The Jews, of course, celebrated, celebrated Pentecost. Um, but it is, you know, 40 is preparation, is completeness. Then you have 10 more to get the number 50 to celebrate it on, on the 50th day. Um, but liturgically, the uh, the phrase changes. So Christ is risen from the dead. By death, he trampled death. Those in the tombs, he granted life. Becomes a prayer for Is that what I was supposed to respond? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that, that, that's like the, we call the Traparian. It's like the, so like you, I began every prayer during this season with that one. Um, like the heavenly king is what happens after Pentecost, and that's what you pray most of the year. But then that, that little nine-day period is be exalted above the heavens of God and let your glory be over all the earth. Mm. So be exalted above the heavens of God, let your glory be over, over all the earth. This kind of the, the up and down yeah. um, of, of Christ's ascension, and yet the awaiting of the, of the sending of the Holy Spirit. So it, it's kind of nice to have that prayer become central. You'll hear it repeated over and over and over again during the Divine Liturgy. Did uh, Matt Marr do a version of that Trisagion back in the 90s? Yes, okay. he did. Speaking of, of 90s, Christ is risen, yeah. exactly. While these Hanyaks were playing Pokemon. Yeah. We were <laughs> jamming out to Matt Marr. Matt Christ Marr was, was, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Very nice. I think he might have had a slightly different translation of it, but anyway, we've, we've actually changed it since uh, 2007, too. It used to be uh, Christ is risen from the dead. By death, he conquered death, and those in the graves he granted life. But okay. the trampling of the tombs, kind of the... the, the uh, three-dimensional tombs above the ground and the, the trampling on them to kind of crush them to bits yeah. is the image that we're going for with this newest translation. That's sweet. Rather than conquering a grave that's under the ground, is trampling a tomb yeah. that's above the ground. Yeah, that's beautiful. It that's does kind great. of bring, bring an image, which, of course, I love the visual images. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think... Uh, Shout out to Johnny uh, Leindecker, who was uh, giving me the, catching me up on the, the Byzantine goodness nice. that's happening in Ohio, and I told him we'd give him a shout out. He said something so funny, I just love this, and because uh, my sister and brother-in-law just had their third uh, boy, mm. uh, Caleb, okay. Dean, Dean the Bean, and uh, I said, John has eight kids, you know, and you have a, a how big is your family? You guys have five, I have a, you got three brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm oldest of five, and then there's 12 nieces and nephews at right. this point. Yeah. So I asked John, I said, what's kind of the threshold of, you know? Like, when is it hardest? Right. And he said, three. He said, number three is hardest because, and I love this, he goes, you go from man, man-to-man man coverage to zone coverage. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's a totally, that's the big yeah. shift. And I was like, oh, that's great. So my sister and brother-in-law are going through that. But the little yeah. guys are coming to Mass now because we're doing Mass at the hospital, and we were just talking about this. Like, 
I just grab an icon off of the wall and we just talk yeah. during the homily. We talk through the uh, the icons because they're so expressive around, and they just they're very captivating. The little guys, so I think that's awesome. You do that and start to pick up on these little things. You yeah. know, we've been doing for centuries, but. Uh, if you're uh, if you're in zone coverage and you have a hard time getting the kids' attention with religious stuff, maybe pick up right. some icons and you know. Right, I think I've shared that story before, but the the uh, Zelaskos, Elizabeth and Joseph Zelasko, when they were they were coming to the church, but they were they were kind of discerning becoming Byzantine, and that that was what kind of that was the last straw that we should be that they wanted to start coming to a Byzantine parish all the time was uh, Philomena when she was probably two was at home and she would venerate their DVDs. Because it looked like an icon, oh, it was like the same size and yeah. had like a pretty face on it, you know. And such, so and they're like, "Man, we gotta get some icons." Because she's an amazing iconographer, yeah. of course, and she was yeah. back then too. But That's she's great. an amazing artist, so yeah. it was kind of funny. They said, "Yeah, there's something like kids need this ongoing, visceral, like sensory interaction with these things." And um, I, I, we have this one kid that comes now, and he he swings his dad's keys like incense. Like a little so you, you, yeah. you hear these, you hear these little keys kind of. Oh, Brady just walked by outside. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Brady's talking to someone. That's anyway, funny. I'm looking at my window here. Yeah, that's funny. I live right down from the street from the seminary, and one of our buddies is. Anyway, um, so okay, so topic. Um, I have had. I don't even know when I got this. I got the f- complete stories of Flannery O'Connor. Nice. Um, I think I probably bought it uh, from a like a book sale in, in seminary. So you'd have these at our seminaries. I'm sure happens in most seminaries. You have, you have a priest die and he leaves his entire mm-hmm. like collection of the seminary. Well, of course, most of the books that he has the seminary already owns. So they might take two or three, but um, but I, I imagine some priest died, gave it to our seminary in Pittsburgh. So the uh, the library Walter Hanlovich. No, but that is sound Byzantine. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, so I, I probably bought that book. I recognize the name when I was in in seminary, but I never never read her stuff ever. Mm-hmm. I think I read um, "A Good Man Is Hard to Find" mm-hmm. probably or you know most of it when I was in high school and supposed to read it. So anyway, I bought it from my Kindle because that's where I read most things nowadays. Um, and I've been reading through the stories, maybe like reading one a day. And it really did rock my world. Like I, I, I know that Flannery O'Connor has had a major impact on many Catholics. She was a Catholic from the South, a Catholic writer. But I just, it was one of those names of you know, authors and short story writers that I've heard about. Could yeah. not have identified who she was, where she was from until recently. Anyway, reading through these, uh, they're heart wrenching. Like really? her stories are absolutely heart wrenching. Have you read all of her stuff? No, I haven't. I mean, I've just read a few, but I have okay. to be honest, it's been a while. I think I've just read the classics or the kind of the most. <laughs> Uh, well known, good man. It's hard to find. Um, so, like, like every one I read, I want to, I want to Temple of Holy Ghost, you know, podcast on that, or, yeah. or you know, think about yeah. that process. It spend some time with it. Um, so, I was gonna do, I was gonna do one on a good man. It's hard to find because that was such a, a, a really an amazing story. Um, I, one of my friends, uh, Nini from Jelly, she's I think read everything, and that's one of her favorite stories too. She had that last line memorized, like. She would have been a good woman if she had a gun pointed to her head every day of her life, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. One of the last lines of a good man is hard to find. Yeah. Um, but but the river. And by the way, I, I there's going to be spoilers. So I, I really want to talk and get you get your impression of the river. Did you ever read the river? Do you remember that uh, one? There okay. it is. Though. She would have been a good woman uh, if she had been somebody there. If there had been somebody there to shoot her every minute of her life. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. and it, I remember Nene and I were kind of like just sitting there, like trying to process what that was for this story. So That's anyway. Um, Flannery O'Connor short stories, but I want to talk about the river and there's definitely going to be spoilers in here. Um, and I, anyway, I should have told you earlier what the topic was, so you could have read it because I'm sure you have, a, some deeper impressions of this. Um, I know, um, what's his name in, in a Cleveland, um, father Damien, 
a priest of Cleveland. I follow him on Twitter. He's great. I've met him a couple times. Anyway, he, he loves Flannery O'Connor and he like following him on Twitter. And I think he actually did a Flannery O'Connor pilgrimage, like down to the South, down oh, yeah. Tennessee, Georgia. And he went to her house and things like that. But anyway, the river. So I'm, you know, I'll, I'll describe it to you and, and get mm-hmm. your impressions from it. But so it starts out pretty much. It's just, it's in a city. This, there's this father dressed in a bathrobe, 6 a.m., He's trying to get his kid ready to go somewhere. You don't quite know where, but he gets the kid like half dressed. He's kind of groggy. It's early in the morning. Anyway, so he's he's asked this babysitter to come take care of his kid for the day because the mom is sick. All he says is she's sick, and the woman asks, what is she sick of? And he says, I don't know. So the, this woman that comes to pick him up lives out in the country. She's kind of a typical Flannery O'Connor, um, you know, Southern Protestant woman who who wears her faith on her sleeve. As you as you read in much of her stories, these these uh, characters tend to be very judgmental. So like mm-hmm. with all of Flannery O'Connor, everybody's broken. Like right. there's not a single person that comes out as a hero. Everybody's broken. So you see the father's broken. He's groggy at six a.m. The mother's broken because she's sick. The boy is just kind of in a stunned silence. He doesn't really have much of a character in the beginning. And he's I think it says he he's four or five. Yeah. Described as he looks like he's four or five. Anyway, this woman takes him out. And on the way, she's saying, we're gonna actually going to go to a healing. So there's this preacher down by the river. He's going to do a healing. And so the boy says, well, what's he going to heal me of? And she says, well, what's wrong with you? And he just kind of pauses for a second. He goes, well, I'm, I'm hungry. You know, does, does that count? You know, he, he just doesn't understand. This is not part of his life at all. Right. So the, the boy goes to her house for a bit. One of the, he, he had never heard. He thought that Jesus Christ was either a curse word or somebody that had, like, done them wrong. Uh, you know, which you can totally see when, yeah, when, when his parents yeah. said Jesus Christ, it was more like, there's this man, Jesus Christ, he's done us wrong, so we, we say his name when we're frustrated with him. Um, anyway, so he goes to her house, her husband's sick and in the hospital, he meets her four kids, they just kind of mess with the kid. I mean, they, they get him, they convince him to pretty much let a pig out, and the pig attacks him. And, and so when he goes into the house, the woman realizes he has no idea who Jesus is, so she gives him this, like, 100-year-old... A picture book of Jesus. So he, she already gave him a handkerchief that he stole. As soon as she gives him this picture book of Jesus, he also steals it. Mm. Now, it's really old. It's her grandmother. She says it's important to her, but he immediately steals it. The other thing about this is that she doesn't know his first name. So on the way to this, to her house, she's telling this kid, we're going to go be healed by this preacher named Bevel. And so when she asks the kid, what's your name? He lies and says his name is Bevel. Huh. So she says, that's what... What a coincidence. We're going to go see Bevel. She, has, she gets very excited, in other words, realizes kids know something about Jesus, brings him down to the river. And at the river, there is this young preacher who actually, when you read it, he kind of says everything right. He's saying, you might not be healed today. Like, you came down here. You might not be healed. You might be healed. Did you come to see me? If you did, you're in the wrong place. Did you kind of be healed in the waters of the river? The, you know, that this is where Christ is. The blood of Christ washes away our sins. Anyway, the woman finally says, I don't think this kid's baptized. So she gives him to the guy, the, the preacher, to baptize him. And the preacher asks his name, and he says, it's Bevel, you know, yeah. which is the wrong name. So then the preacher tries to explain to the kid and everybody else what baptism is. Now, this kid has never heard of Christ, never heard of baptism. And the way that the priest describes it is like, this is the river of Christ's blood. It's a river of pain, but it's a river of healing. It flows into the kingdom of God. And he pretty much, to talk to this four or five-year-old kid, he says, once you are baptized, you count. That's what he says. In other words, you matter. You count. You're important. And you can tell all of a sudden everything's kind of coming back where the kid just is neglected in his home. Like he doesn't, 
it's having an adult say, if I do this, you'll be the blood of Jesus Christ who made you. And so the kid always says like, oh, I didn't know I was made by a carpenter. That's kind of how the kid thinks. I was made mm-hmm. by this carpenter named mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. So the preacher like tries to explain baptism, this catechesis in the moment to this kid, explains what's going to happen, and then he dunks the kid. And the kid's not ready for the dunking. He's like hold, grabbing onto the guy's neck. He dunks the kid, baptizes him, pulls him up. The kid's coughing and spitting. Anyway, goes home with the woman. The woman drops him off late because of this. And when the woman walks in the door, she realizes that, oh, I know what happens. Sorry, going back. When the woman then says, oh, and pray for, pray for this kid's mom who's sick. And then the, so the guy, the preacher says to the boy, what is your mom sick of? And the boy says something like, oh, she just wasn't up yet. She was hung over. Like, she's not really sick. Right. She was just drunk. Right. And so it's, you start to have all these moments. It, it actually reminds me of um, Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner. I love that movie. It was an yeah. amazing movie. But um, there's all these moments where kind of all of the systems this woman has set up begin to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Like, she thought she was doing this boy a favor, and, but the kid is baptized Bevel. When she gets home... The, the mother is drunk already when they get home and says, oh, come here, Harry. And the mm. woman's like, his name's Bevel. And the mom's like, no, his name's Harry. You know, it's like, that falls apart. The baptism was by the wrong name. The mom was just drunk, not sick. This poor woman who has all these prejudices too, the, the Christian woman. Mm. But anyway, so when he gets home, the boy goes home. The parents get drunk, steal the book back from him because it's worth something, the book he stole. They take it from the kid. He goes to bed. In the morning, he wakes up. They're still hung over. So he goes and he kind of forages for food. You can tell he does this often. And then he decides to go back to the river because that's where he counts and he goes and drowns himself. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, he goes in there and he, like, he just, he goes under the water and tries to yeah. breathe and gets yeah. caught in a undercurrent. I was waiting for the classic Flannery O'Connor <laughs> twist. Yeah. And that was it. Because it always gets dark. It's like four or five year old kid. Oh, man. And like, what is the. Like, what is the message there? I'm sure there's something I could read a commentary. But I think with, like, all of Flannery O'Connor's stories, so there's another one called Emery and the Gorilla. Mm. You ever, did you mm-hmm. read that one? It's this poor kid, Emery, who's like, you hear from other stories, he's kind of a reoccurring character, that he's just lonely. He's, like, 17 years old, and he's just lonely. And he, you, he's always yearning for company, so he, like, he's an over-talker. Like, he'll make a new friend, then he tries to like, impose intimacy right away by blah, 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 talking and talking and talking and trying to build something right away. And like, when people leave him or deny his friendship, he's just destroyed. Well, in this story, he's walking along, and he sees this guy in a gorilla suit standing outside of a theater at a premiere shaking people's hands. And you can see in his head, you don't quite know what he's getting at, but he says... Like, he's a kind of obsessed with the handshaking, the handshaking, the handshaking. And then he says, that like, in a moment, I don't think ever anybody's ever shaken my hand. Like, he's just, the poor kid grew up, hadn't, didn't have affection. You know, nobody's shaking his hand. Uh. So he, essentially, he steals the gorilla suit. And then he walks out of the woods wearing this suit and tries to shake hands with this couple, like, sitting on a bench. And they both, of course, flip out because he looks right. like a gorilla. And, and it's just kind of he falls down despondent. But uh-huh. all he wanted, he thought that since people shake this gorilla's hand, they might shake his. It was just like, it was heart-wrenching to think yeah. this guy just wants someone to shake his hand, his like, hand. that little bit of affection. But I think what, what, what I take from the story of the river was, you know, a couple things. I, I, I'm a pastor, and I have a pastor's heart, but the, the, there's something about catechesis has to be everything. The faith, Christianity, has to be supported by your family, by your community, by the preacher in your parish, by you know everybody around you, because it's 
it's so easily misunderstood by by you know a child. How do you explain to a four or five year old mm-hmm. the the kind of the heart of the faith? Baptism is new birth. It is new life. You are reborn. All these things this preacher was trying to explain to him, um, but the kid just didn't get it. But he he had to a lot to es- he had a lot to escape from. I mean, he was trying to escape from a neglectful family. He wanted to count. He wanted to matter, and yet. It ends so tragically, but there's something almost hopeful in it, especially for me saying, you know, what, what, do, I, what do I take from this story? Um, I think with so much of Flannery O'Connor's stories, you almost finish just saying, well, that's the way it is. We're all broken. We're all, there's something wrong with all of us. And so don't, don't judge others. But it was actually, well, I see in it like a mission almost. Yeah. How, how do we change? So th- this is not just the way it is. I think that's what, these stories are like, the, the way it is. Some people grow up never having anybody shake their hand. They grow up with zero affection. Some people, like in A Good Man is Hard to Find, you know, this poor woman wanted to pause time. She, she did not want, and her children and grandchildren just did not respond to her understanding of what the world should be like. Right. You know? I think that, yeah, this is a very uh, striking thing. I apologize for not being an auditory learner, so I can't, uh, like okay. when I hear <laughs> things, I'm like, uh, so I'm not going to have anything really particularly profound to say. But one of the things that has always struck me about um, just to reiterate what you're saying about Flannery O'Connor is that she um, she's not afraid to engage the messiness of human life, yeah. and in particular the way that plays out in relationships and in the way that faith is lived right. as a concrete reality. I think that um, one of the great it's interesting coming back to the United States and just being back in kind of you know suburban America where I grew up and just being around, being in, in very effective, efficient hospitals and these yeah. things. Everything is just kind of going as it should be and, and smooth. And we like things to be clean and neat and ordered. And I'm German, so I, I totally dig this as well. But uh, the world is not black and white. Right. And relationships are not black and white. And I think uh, there's something in us that says, I just want it to be black and white. I don't want conflict. Yeah. I don't want drama. I don't want any problems. And for some reason, I don't expect. I expect that all relationships will just be, and that the faith will make it even more black and white. Yeah. It'll just, right. it'll make the contrast even starker. And so to take kind of the very source of faith, the very sacrament of, and then see this crazy twist and inversion in the heart of a very broken and confused, but innocent child. That's kind of, yeah. that's kind of one of the great ironies she's kind of presenting us with and saying, you know, what does this actually mean? And what does this look like? But, she does make us uncomfortable, and I think that we need to find more people like O'Connor and, and fill our lives with that to just say to, to be uh, uncomfortable. So, I, w- I wonder if that's one of the keys. I, 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 you know, met this guy the other day who just a you know agnostic atheist, and he was trying to get me to explain why the faith was worth it. Like, what is the point in his eyes? of having this, you know, secular atheist agnostic mentality explain to me why the faith is worth it. And so he says, you know, God doesn't answer prayer, he says, and you know, this is usually not the case where I ask for something and then either I get it or don't get it, and if I don't get it then I wasn't praying right. If I do get it then I somehow convince God to give me something. And I, I wonder if if Flannery O'Connor, because she's living in a very a very Protestant South with these, you know, these visceral Christian lives, and yet she's bringing her own Catholicism to it. I wonder if that—that's kind of one of the gifts of faith. Is can you read these stories? I mean, like, 
I can't imagine if I actually had a really melancholic personality, you know, reading these stories would just be such a downer. Yeah. But, but for me, I'm like, I'm so sanguine and optimistic that when I read them, I say there, there is something that kind of levels me out. But I, I wonder if it's like faith. If, if, you're look, if you're reading these stories from an, from an atheist point of view or an anahasic point of view, you're kind of saying, like I said earlier, that's just the way it is. That's the way life is. Life is tragic. You see these tragedies. But if you're reading from the point of view of faith, you're saying, I can see the gray. Like th- These stories, in one sense, could be read almost like a parable in the scriptures. You can read the two different people can read the same stories and get completely different ideas from it. Right. That's the beauty of parables. When you, when you see that in the stories, it's almost like someone who is looking for the problem, like, like how messy Christianity is and how pointless it is, they're going to read that and say, yeah, Christianity leads to a little kid committing suicide, you know, and, and without even meaning to. But within Christianity, you read this and say, I actually see in this the gray. I see mm. immense brokenness, but I also see hope. I see the woman who's this judgmental Christian and the, the family who's these, you know, drunk atheists. And it's just like, that's how it is. And But no, th- th- there is the the gray in there, and I think that's what I was trying to explain to this kid that I met. You say, you know, I think Christianity, it doesn't make the world easier, but it just makes it easier to live in a broken world. Right. It's, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about... Uh, well, it's just like life in a hospital just changes things, you know. Like yeah. I just sit, I'm in a, I'm in a place every day for the majority of the meals and, and a big part of the day where um, about half the people around are handicapped and unable to walk. Everybody's in wheelchairs. Craig Hospital. Yeah. Changes the way you think about yeah. life. Um, and you see all kinds of perspectives um, and you see what's happening and you see what's going on. But the challenge becomes... Uh, and I might write on this tomorrow. We do this little caring bridge thing where I try to be subtle and evangelize people. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody knows they're like, it's the priest. He's going to say something (laughs) theological. But I'm, I'm struck by the fact that, um, you know, from the Catholic perspective, conformity of no offense to father Mike, but conformity is actually a very important uh, concept. Mm -hmm. Conforming the mind to reality is what knowledge is for Aquinas, right? And that's that's what we're about. Conforming ourselves to Christ is one way of describing the spiritual experience. Uh, and again, this is not about cutting corners and uh, and having the perfect kind of you know fix to life. But there's something about changing the way that we are and that allows us to live in reality, the pain, the joys, the sorrows, everything uh, more extremely. And I think one of the main things Flannery O'Connor's going after is when. Christians try and short circuit that project. Yeah. Get the cross out of there, make our lives better, say all the right things, and then just God gives us everything we want. And it becomes this kind of religious consumerism, which then the kind of, I don't know, hipster down at St. Mark's coffee shop is like, I don't want anything to do with this, you know? Right. And you can understand why. Right. And she's going after that too. Right. Uh, now everybody sees things differently. But I don't know how people conform their lives to reality without the gift of faith. Right. I just think that's got to be really hard because there's so many ways to medicate and it's so easy to escape. Yeah. And it's just our natural temptation. So there's something about the rawness and the kind of just, I don't know, the, the, the gravity, but also there's just like a texture and a intensity to her stories that I think just, I don't know, they challenge us. 
And I, and I think part of the process you're supposed to think through is the boy didn't want to die. Right. He didn't. He didn't commit suicide. I mean, he he didn't go there to drown. He went there to access, in his limited, very generalized understanding of what baptism was. I I need like under this river is the kingdom of God. In this river is where I receive the dignity of being being one someone who matters, who counts. And so he wanted I think he thought the impression I got from the story was that he thought that the preacher failed. Like he tried to push him to another uh, world. I see, like okay. go under the river and like in this river you will find this your creator, the one who made you, this Everything. carpenter Jesus Christ. You'll you'll find the, the pain of the blood of Christ, but you'll also find the freedom of the kingdom. Yeah. And so it was almost like there was a failure there. I went back to my normal life. I came home. Mom and dad are the same drunks they were last night. Right. You know, in the morning I wake up, they're the same sick, hungover, so I have to find my own food. And he, like, does these rebellious things like knocking over all the ashtrays so that the cigarette butts are all over the floor. And and then he kind of has this conviction, going to do it. He gets back on, just follows the same way he went the day before. But I think that's the beauty of it is if we can say as adults who – who are seeking kind of the sincerity this boy had, obviously we need to have a, the Christian maturity of being adults and say it's not about finding kingdom of God under the water. But if I can have that much faith, in a sense the faith even this boy had, of believing the mm-hmm. story, believing what baptism is, believing that baptism actually brings about the kingdom of God for my life, I participate in Christ's own death and resurrection. Like if I can just say, I want that intensity of faith, I want that zeal, and I want that knowledge that the world I'm living in is unjust and not enough. So if I go to Christ, if I go to baptism, if I go to the river in this story, I, I will find the beginning of that and then learn that Christians have to live in the gray. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's a very interesting um, um, spin on it in terms of his faith and, and his desire. Yeah. This is a this is an interesting one. I'll have to, I'll have to read it. I hate having not read it. I apologize. Yeah, for, no, sorry. I, I for some reason thought that... that, uh, that well, I... I did a podcast even on something. I did read before. this for a long time, and then she kind of freaked me out. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I just kind of like was like, okay, I'm done with this because some of this stuff is like really, really intense. Yeah, but I think you just, I think you go through seasons in life where, you know, you just certain authors speak to you. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading Hopkins, John uh, Gerard Manning Hopkins again, mm. and there's something about his poetry that right now is just speaking in a way that it never has, and yeah. I, I think there's something to be said about. Flannery O'Connor, but yeah, if you need to kind of break out of the black and white world of a uh, you know cookie cutter Christianity, this is one of the great uh, great friends to to find, I think, and to uh, and to break into it. But I, I think the final maybe suggestion on this is faith is not something that's communicated just through the waters of baptism. It's not something that just you can show up and. But it, it has right. to come through human relationships, right? Yep. Because exactly. of the nature of the incarnation, and if she's doing anything, she's saying the incarnation matters. She's screaming that at us, yeah. And that's what you hear today. A woman can't just take a child, baptize him, right, and then he's fine. He's right. just magically okay. He just he he's confused, and he ends up destroying himself yeah. on accident. Um, you have to have the education. Um, Giassani calls it the education of belonging. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful phrase um, where you, he's brought into this. The church has to be a lived, concrete experience of relationship. It can't just be 
kind of sacramental machinery, even yeah. if it's at the river or if it's what we're doing on Sundays at Mass, you know. So, that's and the, that begins with parents. And exactly. And that's, I think, where the story begins with the neglectful parents. Right. Um, but the, the interesting about the story is that I'd love to hear your feedback when you read it, but there is, there's one skeptic. There's this guy that sits on his truck and, and yells his skepticism at the preacher and at the crowd, and he actually tries to save the boy's life. He's the only one nearby. He sees the boy going alone, and he walks down there and kind of keeps an eye on the kid. And when the kid, he sees the kid go under, wow. he tries to grab him. And actually, I think that's the last thing the kid sees is this guy, like, moving away from him wow. like as, as, he, as he drowns. And so it's like there is, like, the, the skeptic yeah. is, like, the practical one who's yeah. trying to almost sees clearly what's going on but is is also unaware of why the boy would do it, I would imagine. Right. But he still tries to save him in a in like a physical way where the boy needs saved in a spiritual way. So anyway, there's a lot Interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah, man. There's and a I'm lot looking there. for you. The, the thing I thought of too with it, it's actually very Flannery O'Connor. Have you ever have you seen the Childish Gambino mm-hmm. video? So um um uh, Donald Glover the actor um, is is now is also a rapper now. He Childish Gambino, and he has this this video called "This Is America Now." And Wait, I'm sure there's cussing in it, okay. so don't show it to your kids. Um, I don't remember exactly, but he 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 almost overdoes the like this the southern thing. Like you know, he he looks like a a, a slave almost. You know, he's he's dressed in only pants and he has his his hair spiked up. He looks you know. So anyway, but he's he's dancing around in kind of this almost overly done stereotype. But but he has these moments of violence in the, that that catch you completely off guard in that video, oh. and I think it's supposed to. Um, but it, it is I, when I watched that video recently. Somebody posted it on Facebook. It was very Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. Like it's it's stereotype, and then you have these shocking moments of violence that kind of startle you a bit. And it's interesting. Another thing from the story, I'll get your feedback later on. But um, when his dad says goodbye to him, it says the boy. Like the the dad reaches his head out of the bedroom and says, "All right, have a good day, old man." And it says the boy like jumps back almost like he was hit. Hmm. Like, what is he shocked that his dad's saying goodbye because yeah. his dad might wish we need to get rid of him? Whatever it was. Anyway, you said that was Donald Glover. Donald Glover. Yeah, the I actor was from because I first thought that you said Danny Glover. And oh. I was like, what? <laughs> Danny Glover's definitely not a rapper. I imagine. I was like, well, that's quite the career change from Angels in the Outfield or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. I'll show you this video when we're done recording. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Good. Well, that was great. Um, you got me inspired to read her again. And I think just, yeah, we have to just ennoble each other to to stay in the present, stay in reality yeah. of relationships, in the messiness of life, and trusting that we're going to find Christ there somehow. And I also think there's a dignity. You talked about your little nephews. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my with my children of the kids homily like we're trying to provide the foundation of the community for them and i think that's why that story calls me to mission it calls me to the goal of saying let's make sure that we're not just throwing out a five-minute homily every sunday that that kids can misunderstand but we're providing a real in a sense a river a a consistent flowing of grace that impacts every aspect of their life yeah amen all right well i don't i there's shout outs i don't have any on me right now I got a big old list here. Okay, go ahead. Pull it up. Um, nothing, huh? Well, I, I'm sure I have some, but I, I had a whole stack of envelopes yeah. that Andrea gave me that I don't have. Anne LaCoco was just on the phone because I accidentally called her. Um, and so she got a... That's <laughs> like that what cheating. that was? <laughs> that's like cheating. She got a free shout out because I accidentally called her and she called back. Nice. Uh, going back to Oxford, I was sitting at a great pub, the oldest pub in Oxford called The Bear. 
Okay. Went there regularly with Father Austin Lickie. Nice. He was on the lash, as we said. Uh, if you ever, if you know Peter O'Toole, on the lash. But uh, we were sitting there with a guy named Joe, um, seminarian from Toledo, a uh, friend of Matt Miller from Duluth, and all these guys, their siblings listen to the podcast. And um, Joe's sister, Christine, lives in Boston, and her job is whale watching. Oh, my gosh. That's like her job. Like does tours? Yeah. Very Takes cool. people out and watches whales. So I was like, that's pretty sweet. And she listens to the podcast. So, Christine, you have a really great job, and uh, thanks for listening. And then, do you ever have that feeling where you're like, your some of your closest friends actually never get shoutouts, and yeah. they actually oh, listen yeah, faithfully? Sure. I know you feel that. So, <laughs> yeah. Sarah Sophia, we were having coffee nice. last week, yeah. and I was just like, oh man, I have got to actually say thank you for being a faithful listener and a faithful friend. Kind of a Flannery O'Connor type in my own life. Um, she's fantastic. So, thanks for listening. And then, lastly, what do we have here? Um, we had dinner, Mike and I, speaking of social anarchy, actually it was great. We went to this place called Santa Cristina, one of our favorite restaurants in Rome, with Father Brian Graby and his friends, and they were from Brooklyn, and they're super hip. They were the, the musicians who were trying to tell us a couple years ago, like, hey guys, like, oh. we'll make you music, you gotta kind of get <laughs> You're gonna get this. busted for this. <laughs> you're, get, you're eventually gonna get totally annihilated. Noel and Josh, I think that's their names, um, they're from Brooklyn and they're awesome, and Father Graby is... Uh, uh, great as well. So, anyways, um, th- I think that's like a three-month overdue. Thank you for a wonderful dinner, sea bass, and nice. uh, Amatriciana and whatnot. So, that's it for shout-outs for uh, for this day. But I tell you what, it's great to podcast with you. I feel like we've only done this a couple times, but it's always a joy for me and great topic today. So, yeah, you too. It's good to have you back in town. Good to be back. All right, all. Thanks for listening. Catholic stuff podcast at Gmail. Catholic stuff. Google it. And Google Father Mike. uh, Google Mike Raps. He's a model for Urban Outfitters. (laughs) So yeah, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody.